hello, Hope City Church. I think it's a good sign. Uh, it's a good sign. At least I've always thought or been told that it's a good sign when you're a part of a church and they're supposed to stop talking, but they just keep talking to each other. That means you're a part of a church where everybody really actually likes each other. That's a good thing. Uh, hello to everybody who's watching online and our overflow here in the room. Uh, thanks for being here today. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor. And we're starting a brand new series uh, today where we're studying through the New Testament book of Galatians. And we're actually going to do this for the next eight weeks. Uh, we're going to take the next two months because I think it's that important. And this is something that I love to do as a pastor, by the way, teach through books of the Bible. Um, I like it for me personally as I'm studying for the sermons, but also I think it's just really healthy for a church to study the books of the Bible. We try to do this in a verse-by-verse way. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do topical things. We just got done doing that, talking about relationships, and uh, we use biblical principles, but we're not necessarily going, you know, verse-by-verse through a book of the Bible. And, uh, but we're doing this, and, and it's really healthy for a church for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons it's healthy is because it means that the preacher can't just preach on his favorite topics all the time, can't just get on his soapbox. Have you ever known a preacher to just get on their soapbox? Not me, obviously, but other churches. Um, You've got to, you've got to take out of the Bible text what's in there instead of you putting in what you want it to say. And, uh, and so this is just really healthy. We've done this. We, we do this every year multiple times. We've done Judges and John and Jonah and um, we did Matthew a while back. And just a really healthy practice. And so I, I think another reason it's really cool is because uh, we get to come together and we get to read a letter from the Apostle Paul the same way that the Galatian Christians did 2,000 years ago. I just think that's so cool um, because... Christians have been gathering together and reading letters and reading the gospels generation after generation. And it's a reminder to you and me that we're a part of something so much bigger than just a church building or a church service. And I know sometimes, you know, you'll post on social media, we'll say, I love my church. And I love that because I love my church too. But we don't just love our church. We love the church. And, and so, and so, you know, we get to come together and in the same way, kind of, um, you know, technology and stuff makes it a little bit different. The room's probably a little bit bigger. Uh, we've got an amplification system. But in the same way that these Galatian Christians came into this room and somebody got out the, the, the letter, the scroll, what, you know, however it, they, they delivered it to them. And somebody got up in front of the room, one of the elders got up in front of the room and they opened it up and they began to read the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians. We're getting to do that exact same thing today. Thousands of years later. And I, I, to me, like I got a little goosebumps right now because I think it's just another reminder that we're a part of something. Being a Christian is being a part of something. It's a part, it's a family and We'll talk about that a little, a little bit more. And so the question is, what does a letter written to a bunch of Christians in Asia so long ago have to do with you and me? That's a valid question. Maybe you've wondered that. And the answer is a lot, has a lot to do with you and me. The Apostle Paul wrote Galatians to address the first real controversy of the church. It's about 15 or 20 years after Jesus has been resurrected, and now the church has its first real controversy, its first real debate that's dividing the church. 
And even from just a few months after Jesus had resurrected, there were different branches of Christianity, so to speak, and different versions. And, you know, people had different opinions. The church wasn't necessarily as established yet. So it wasn't that there was always just one you know, message of Christianity, but there was a main one. It came from the disciples that traveled with Jesus and then eventually the apostle Paul. And so now 15 or 20 years later, that main version, that main teaching of Christianity was, was under attack. It was the first real controversy. And so Paul writes a letter and he, he writes this letter um, to people that he knew, that he had an emotional attachment to because he had come through the town, he had started a church, he had met them in you know, town and, and had dinner at their house and led them to the Lord. He was their pastor and he would come in, he would do this, uh, these letters throughout the New Testament. These are letters to churches that he started. So he would travel every couple of years, he would start these churches. And so Paul had come to this region, and he had started these churches. But after he left, there were new preachers who came into town, and they were teaching that in order to be a Christian, it wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus. They, they were saying, they were Jewish, they were preaching to non-Jewish people. They said, it's not just enough that you believe in Jesus. You also, you have to believe in Jesus, and you have to be circumcised. And so that's what we want to talk about for the next eight weeks is circumcision. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm just kidding. We're not talking about circumcision um, because that's not really a debate that we have much anymore, I, I don't think. Um, and so what the Galatian church was struggling with doesn't really relate to you and me as much, but why they were struggling with it really relates to, to you and me a lot. And we struggle just as much as they did and every generation of Christians in between, between the Galatians who are reading this letter and you and I, every generation of Christians has struggled with this because at its core, Galatians is a letter about what it means to be a Christian. Galatians and Romans are kind of the two letters in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul that really stand out. I mean, they're all great. They're all inspired, the word of God. But Romans and Galatians really kind of stand out. And, and, and Romans, I mean, it is just a thick, thick book that is about how you become a Christian, what it means to become a Christian. And Galatians is about how you live the Christian life, what Christians uh, do in, in their life. And, and these two letters... As some historians have said, hypothetically, if you lost the Bible, which we haven't, but if you lost the Bible, but you were able to hold on to John, Romans, and Galatians, you would be able to piece together the Christian faith that, that we have. And so Paul is, he's going to answer a question that we've all asked at some point. And here's the question, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? How good do you have to be to be a Christian? You've wondered this. We've all wondered this for lots of different reasons. Maybe for ourselves or someone else that we know. How good do you have to be? How bad are you allowed to be? You know, how, how good is good enough? And the point that Paul is going to make over and over and over again is that being a Christian is not based on whether someone is a good person or a bad person. Being a Christian is based on what you believe. It's not about a good person or a bad person. It's about belief. As a matter of fact, there's no such thing as a good Christian. Did you know that? 
That's actually our big idea for this series that we're going to talk about over the next uh, eight weeks together, that there's no such thing as a good Christian. And as I say that, some of you are thinking, well, wait a second. I mean, look, I'm not saying I'm perfect and, you know. I get the premise of what you're saying there, Jason, but like, you know, I, I, I try to be kind to people. I, I come to church. I, I give in the offering. I, um, you know, I, again, I, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty good Christian. I do a pretty good job of this. And, and if there is something in your heart right now, if there's something in your mind right now going, I mean, I get what you're saying, but, but I, if I'm being honest, I, I do kind of feel like a pretty good Christian then this, this, you're going to love Galatians. I think. You may hate it, but you're, you're, it's going to speak to you. I can say that. Because this is exactly what the book is about, what the letter is about. Paul is writing to people who are already Christians. They've already been saved. They've already raised their hands, so to speak. They've already said a prayer. They've already, you know, associated, become a part of the Christian faith. And he is going to plead with them with intensity. He's going to plead with them to stop trying so hard to be a Christian. Stop trying so hard. You're trying way too hard. Paul is going to say, in essence, stop trying to be a good Christian. Stop trying to be better Christians because there's no such thing. Just believe in Jesus. That's what he's going to say. And it sounds simple enough, you know? That's like, oh, that sounds pretty simple. Matter of fact, it sounds great, Jason. Like, you're telling me that it's not based on behavior. There's no chart. There's no, it's just believing in Jesus. That sounds amazing. That sounds simple. But it's not simple. Because truth be told, if we really could have it the way we want it, we'd prefer a chart. We, we would prefer to know how to get in, how to get out, what's acceptable, what's not. And I love the way Tim Keller says it. It's one of my favorite quotes. Tim Keller says, if you want to be a Christian, all you need is nothing, but most people don't have it. And uh, that's you and me. That's you and me. And so if you've ever wondered questions like, what do I do after I get saved? What's next? Or um, does it matter what I do if I believe in Jesus? Or is God mad at me? Or can I lose my salvation? Or how can I stop doing all these awful things that I keep doing? Or does God still love me? If you've ever wondered questions like this, you're going to find the answers in Galatians. And we're going to take some time to go through this together. I want to encourage you to to be here or watch online, be a part of these messages. They're going to build each week on one another. And so today we're going to start at the very beginning because that's the best place to start a letter, the very beginning. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. And I want us to read uh, just the first nine verses together. Uh, It's not a long book. You could probably read it a couple times through the series. Starting next week, we're going to give you a plan to do that. But today we're just going to start with the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 9. And this is what it says. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. It was not, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way. Everybody say different way. 
You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And I say again, verse 9, what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So let's, let's dive into this and see how we're going to start. What's Paul trying to tell us at the outset here of, of this letter? Over the last 12 months or so during the, the quarantine or COVID, whatever you want to uh, call it, is my, my youngest calls it the corona. So over the last 12 months of the corona, uh, our family has been home more, probably like your family. And um, especially early on, but still to this day, we have been uh, watching a lot of movies together, a lot of uh, hero movies together. And I've been trying to watch them in order. You know, we, we watched, we've watched the Star Wars movies and we've, watched, we've tried to watch all the spinoffs. We've tried to watch them in order. Uh, at least me and my oldest daughter, everybody else kind of gives up on us at some point. But we watched those. And then uh, we've been in the process of watching all the Avenger movies in order. Uh, for the most part, and, and we're still kind of working through all of that. And so I've just, I, I feel very educated on superhero movies over the last 12 months. And I guess I always knew it, but when you watch so many movies like that in consecutive order, you realize that for the most part, for the most part, every movie is pretty much the same. At least, I mean, superhero movies for sure, but really all movies pretty much are the same. And here's the way it works. There is someone who is relatively normal, living a normal, you know, life, unaware of anything that's about to happen. Something dramatic happens, some kind of uh, cataclysmic inspiring event or something. And it upsets the normal way of life that existed before. And there's a bad guy or bad guys or an evil empire trying to destroy the world. Whoever the good people or the good, you know, the good team is, they, they discover or improve their powers. They lose a couple of early small battles. They got a rally. But then in the end, they win the war. They defeat the enemy and they reset the world to its original order. That's, that's pretty much it. Uh, for, for, for movies. And, uh, you know, I never really thought about it before until I was preparing for this message and kind of rereading the beginning of Galatians. But in these first few verses, Paul, he really is using that kind of terminology. He, he's, he's describing Christianity much in the same way, that, that Christianity is really a story of good versus evil, and salvation is really a rescue mission. This is, these are the words that Paul is, is using. Look at verse four, if you still have your Bible open or whatever you're using. Look at verse four. He says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue. Everybody say rescue. Rescue us from this evil world in, in which we live. And this is, this is just an interesting way to describe salvation can be described a lot of ways, but this is an interesting way to, to describe salvation. That salvation, according to Paul, is a rescue mission from an evil world. That God sent Jesus to die on the cross to rescue us from, from an evil world. And we don't really see it that way, most of us. 
That sounds a little harsh, a little dramatic. Uh, maybe, you know, you have a grandmother who is like hardcore and always talks about how evil the world is. But for the most part, modern Christianity doesn't really have that kind of intensity to it. Uh, we don't really see the world through the lens of good and evil. For most of us, we see Christianity through a lens of it being maybe helpful or practical or moral, but not Paul. Paul doesn't view Christianity through this like practical, social, collateral, moral lens. Paul sees it very cut and dry. There is good, there is the light, there's Jesus, there is evil, there is the darkness, there is the devil. And God sent Jesus to rescue you and me from, from, from that evil world. For, for Paul, Christianity is not just an association or affiliation. It's a rescue mission. It, it's, it's Tony Stark, you know, leading the Avengers to defeat Thanos. It's, it's Ray becoming a Jedi and, and leading the resistance to defeat the evil empire. It's, it's Frodo going on a quest to, to destroy the ring and defeat Sauron. You know, like it's, it, it's, it's drama. It's drama. And these are fictional examples, but for you and me, if we are Christians, Paul says that you didn't just find a church. You didn't just say a prayer. You joined the rebels. You're you're part of the resistance. You have been rescued from an evil world. And listen, life with the empire has a few more comforts to it, and it has a few more, you know, benefits temporarily. And yes, being a part of the resistance of the rebels, you know, it has some inconveniences to it and maybe you don't eat as good and maybe your clothes aren't as nice, but, but you've been rescued and you recognize good from evil. You know what you're fighting for. And we've been rescued from an evil world and God takes ordinary human beings and he empowers us with the spirit of the living God. And all throughout our life, we begin to discover these powers, this normal, routine, ordinary life. But then all of a sudden we start discovering that we have the spirit of God in us. We have these powers in us to fight the darkness. Now, for Paul, if, if, if we are Christians who are turning from the truth. Now we're gonna talk about this in just a second because this is really what he hammers on here. But, but he says, for, 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 for Christians who are turning from the truth, listen, they're not just missing church. They are risking going back to the dark side. They, they are leaving life and going to death. They are leaving light and going to darkness. They are leaving good and going to evil. Does that sound in, too intense? Am I being too dramatic? It shouldn't feel that way. It shouldn't sound that way. Because as you read the pages of scripture, you see the Bible is filled with terminology about death and life and light and darkness and finding freedom in Jesus Christ from a world that enslaves you. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about us versus them. When he talks about the evil world, he's not talking about your sister-in-law or your boss. The world in the Bible represents mindsets and ways of life and philosophies. It's not people. The Bible is very clear. We don't wrestle against people, flesh and blood. We wrestle against principles of darkness. And so when I say good versus evil, I don't mean, you know, you versus them. I mean, I mean, light versus darkness. But 
for Paul and for you and me, being a Christian means something. It means something. We're on a mission. We have a tribe. We have a job. We, we follow a leader. And I wonder if you feel that way. Do you feel rescued? Do you feel rescued? Do you feel like had the resistance not gotten to you? Do you feel like if the rebels hadn't made it to you? Do you feel like if, if you had not been taken out that this oblivious evil world that you were living in unaware until you saw the lie, do, do you feel rescued? Do you feel like you, you've joined the rebels? No, it's interesting because... Um, in America, Christianity is kind of associated with being old-fashioned and backwards. But if you go to almost any non-democratic country, if you go to any uh, nation that is uh, run by a dictator, it's always the Christians who are the rebels. It's always the people of faith who are the resistance. And we, we kind of flip that here. But you don't live for this world. Your hope is not in this world. You have joined the resistance, and I wonder if you feel that way. And, and so you could say in a way that the Christian life is really how we respond to being rescued. That, that's really what Galatians is about. As we go through this, it, it, Paul describes salvation not just as a raise my hand, not just as a repeat after me, not just as a baptism, but as a rescue mission. And then he says, okay, if you really feel rescued, if you believe that you have been rescued, then, then the Christian life is really just how you respond to being rescued. And this is what he explains in verses six and seven. And I just want, these are the two verses we're gonna focus on. I wanna go back and read them one more time. This is what Paul says. Paul says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Now, did you notice whatever you're reading or on the screen, did you notice that good news is capitalized? Did you notice that? The capital G, the capital N, that good news is capitalized. And that's because Paul is not just talking about good news. He's talking about the good news. We call this the gospel. This is what the Christians call the gospel. And, and Paul is saying that these Galatians believed the gospel when Paul taught it to them initially, but now they are following a different way that pretends to be better than the good news. Pretends to be better than the gospel that they believed. So what is the gospel? We need to know so that we can know if we're following something that's just to be better than the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that your sin is worse than you believe. But God's grace is, is better than you deserve. You are more lost than you know, but you're more loved than you know too. This is the gospel. If I had to say it a little more uh, officially or drawn out, here's how I would say it. Because of your sin... Someone has to pay the penalty of death and condemnation, and that's supposed to be you. But because God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. That is the gospel. This is it. But now, the Galatian Christians are, are listening to a preacher preach Preachers preach something different, something that sounds better, 
something that pretends to be better than the good news gospel that I just told you and that Paul told the Galatians. So what are they believing? Well, I'm going to tell you what they're believing, but I want to give you a heads up that it's so subtle you may not even catch it. I'm going to tell you what they were believing, but it's so subtle. You'll think, I don't, what's the difference? This is what they were telling them. Because of your sin, someone had to pay the penalty of death and condemnation. It was supposed to be you, but God loves you so much. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus and do what he wants you to do, you can have eternal life. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. Did you, did you catch it? Did you see it? Let me give them to you again. This is, the Paul, this is Paul's gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of your sin, someone has to pay the penalty of death and condemnation, and that's supposed to be you. But God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. This is what they were preaching. Because of your sin, someone has to pay the penalty of death and condemnation. That was supposed to be you. But God, but God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus and what he wants you to do, you can have eternal life. Jesus became lame like you. become like him. Did you catch, catch it? Just, just like, mm, just so subtle. subtle. So subtle. The gospel that Paul, Paul was preaching, the gospel that Jesus, Jesus came, said if you, if you believe Jesus, you can, you can have eternal life. The, the, the Judaizer preacher Christians show up and say, if, if you believe in Jesus and, and do what he, he wants you to do, you, you can have eternal life. And that, that doesn't sound that bad. Gospel still says believe. The false teachers say believe and behave. Believe plus something else. Now, specifically for them, they were were saying believe and act Jewish. You're not Jewish, but this is a Jewish faith. And believe in Jesus and act Jewish, which means circumcision. Sorry, guy. And Jewish dietary laws. You got you to act Jewish. You got to go back and you got to learn all those Old Testament rules and laws and you got to obey all of them because it's believe and act, act Jewish. But maybe, maybe you think for a second, you're like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but shouldn't I do what God wants me to do? Like, are you saying I shouldn't do what God wants me to do? Like, it, so you're saying it's wrong to say believe and do what God wants you to do. So, like, should I not do what God wants me to do? Shouldn't I do good, Jason? Yes, of course. This is why you need to be here, because it's not that simple. This is why you need to be here all eight weeks, okay? Of course. But it's the order of the words that matter. It's the motivation that matters. The gospel says, believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. The false gospel says, believe in Jesus and change and God will love you. Let me say it again. The gospel says, believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. The false gospel says, believe in Jesus, change and God will love you. So the right way is being changed by God's love. The wrong way is changing for God's love. And this is so subtle. And it just sounds good. It sounds better. Sounds better than the truth. And Paul writes this letter. And listen, I gotta be honest with you. He, he writes this letter confrontationally, he writes it with a lot of 
passion. He's bold. As we get later in the book, he's going to say some things that are graphic, but he writes it like a pastor, like a father. He, he, he is riding like he sees his child running out in front of a car coming full speed. He, he's riding like a dad whose daughter is dating a bum and he's worried about, you know, where the future may be headed here. And, and I gotta be honest with you, I can relate to this as a pastor. Like there is something, when you see people who are falling away from the faith, but in the process of falling away, believe that they are actually becoming better Christians. When they're actually walking away from Christianity, there is something as a pastor and a leader, and you know maybe as a parent or maybe as a growth group leader or a ministry leader, you know it just rips your heart out. So Paul shows up and he writes this letter and he's like, hey, listen, he doesn't say, you know what, listen, we can agree to disagree and I, I understand. And it's like, I don't, I'm not even mad at you. Like, don't worry about it. We'll just hang out and do some dinner and, you know, and just, just know I love you. And if you ever want to talk about it, you know, I'm here. Now he shows up and he says, do you want to go back to the empire? Like you have been rescued. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't apologize for his passion. And it's this, it's this belief that sounds better than the truth. It seems to make sense because it appeals to our savior complex that I can save myself. We can fix ourselves. It, appears to, it appeals to our achiever who wants to be better and improve. This idea of getting your life together for God is very appealing, which is why it's so dangerous. Uh, doing some study for this, this series, I was reading uh, Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, and he, uh, he had this quote about this particular verse, verses 6 and 7, that I I I didn't want to paraphrase it. I wanted to read it to you. This is what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, the devil knows better than to appear ugly and black. When the devil sees that he cannot hurt the cause of the gospel by destructive methods, he doesn't under the guise of correcting, he does it under the guise of correcting and advancing the cause of the gospel. Unable to prevail by force, he engages wicked and ungodly teachers who at first make common cause with us, then claim that they are particularly called to teach the hidden mysteries of the scriptures to superimpose on the first principles of Christian doctrine that we teach. This sort of things brings the gospel into trouble. Now, what in the world does that mean? Luther is saying that the biggest threat to your faith is not bad behavior, it's bad beliefs. And that you're probably smart enough to recognize the devil if he shows up with a name tag that says, I'm the devil. So instead, what the enemy does is he uses the idea of going deeper. He uses the idea of of becoming a more mature Christian and viewing other Christians as like baby Christians and, and feeling like you need to understand the more advanced ideas of Christianity and the Bible and you're upgrading and, 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 and now, you know, you started at Christianity 101, but you're like 401 and, and it, yes, it's the gospel and yes, it's Jesus. And listen, Jason, I'm not saying it's not Jesus. It's grace. It's faith alone. It's the cross. I know, but it would also be pretty helpful. Would it not, Jason, if we also were able to like go a little deeper, read between the lines, crack the code. Martin Luther says, that's how the devil gets in. He can't show up and say, it's all a lie. And there's a small percentage of people who would believe that. Instead, what he's, he, he, the devil comes in and says, that's true, but now let's, let's, let's move on to the, to the real stuff, the serious stuff, the heavy stuff. 
And, and he's saying something here that's really easy to miss, especially if you grew up like me in, in church, kind of that traditional um, whatever church. Um, he, he is, he, he's saying that the gospel is not something that you need when you get saved and then you move on to more important stuff. The gospel is the important stuff. And we have people sometimes at Hope City who's, you know, and I know what they mean and I know their heart. And so I'm not being negative or mean, but they say like, well, I mean, I, I like it. I've been here for a little while, but I just feel like, you know, it's always about salvation. And it's always about like, when, when are we going to do some of the deeper stuff? And I know what they mean. So I'm not trying to sound snarky. I totally understand what they mean. But listen, this is the deep stuff. Until you can wake up every day and recognize the gravity of your sin and feel the deep, deep affection of the love of Jesus Christ and live your life based on those two things, you don't need a revelation poster with the timeline. You got to figure out, no offense to the revelation Bible studies, you got to figure out how to live in the truth of the gospel. This is the deep stuff. And so this is still a problem for us today. This is still a problem for us today. That in our attempt to be a, quote, better Christian, we, we begin to walk away from the essence of Christianity. How, how does that happen? What does that sound like? What does that look like? Well, there's probably more than two, but I would say there are two dominant ways that we do this, um, kind of on the conservative side of Christianity and kind of on the progressive liberal side of Christianity. And you'll, I think you'll probably relate to, to one of these. All of us probably do. But conservative Christians and conservative churches, they, they would say, you're a Christian. You've been rescued. You got saved. Great. Fantastic. That's amazing. Let's celebrate. That's awesome. You're a Christian. Now that you're a Christian, make sure you don't keep sinning, miss church, vote Democrat. I don't know. I mean, maybe not in Louisville, but where I grew up. Like now that you're a, a Christian, Make sure you don't make God regret saving you. Don't disappoint God. That, in essence, that's what they're saying. Is, is there, it's not, if you want to use Bible terms, it's not justification causes sanctification. It's sanctification causes justification. That's, how they would, that's the Bible terms they would use. It is that you are justified, you're saved by God based on the life that you live. But the gospel says, believe that you have been rescued and you will begin to live a different life. But in the conservative traditional way, we say, that's amazing that you've been saved. Don't screw it up. But then on the other side, two sides of the same coin, on the other side, the progressive churches and Christians, they would say, oh my gosh, you've been saved? That's amazing. You've been rescued? That's amazing. I'm so, I think it's amazing that you've had that experience with God. But now that you're a Christian, make sure that you don't be too hard on yourself, and listen, if there's any way you could tell people that there's not just one way to God, don't, don't ignore the poor and the needy. Be active in, in social justice and, and make sure that you don't make it just about the Bible. You got to make it about the whole person. Don't be exclusive. 
And in essence, even though it feels like the opposite of the traditional conservative church, it feels like a more grace-filled version. It's the exact same thing because they're saying, don't disappoint God. It's great that you're a Christian, but don't disappoint God. Don't make him mad. Don't make him regret saving you because you don't just get to be a Christian. You've also got to be a Christian plus something. And both sides in their own way are telling you, you're a Christian, now be a good Christian. And that's exactly what the false teachers were telling the Galatians. It's great that you believe, but that's not enough. Be better, be more committed, get it together. Do what the Christians do. And uh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And this is why Paul wrote the Galatians. He wants them to know that you never graduate from the gospel. And even though this feels better, and it does in some way feel better, like I'm a part of it now, and I don't want to disappoint God, and I, I, do, I do want to live, you know, for God, and I do want to do what God wants. It feels right. It feels noble. It feels better. But it only ends in one of two ways, pride or shame. That's it. There's no other option. Because you either through willpower, and we're going to talk about this in Galatians 2, but, but, but either through willpower, you do figure out some way to put together some semblance of a life that is spectacular. Your actions have been changed. Not, not your motivation, not your heart, not your head, but your actions have been changed. And so you have this pride. You're like the guy that Jesus talked about who went to the temple and said, I fast twice a day. Thank God I'm not like that man over there, God. Or shame. I can't get it together. Why can't I get it together? How come I can't stop doing those things? How come I can't be the great, I mean, I'm in a growth group of people and I know like I listen to the way they pray and I listen to the way they talk and they're not struggling anymore and, and, and I, I'm not that and I can't get it to that. And I, I bet God's so mad at me and I bet God loves me and I, I'm not worth being died for and, and I'm not worth someone sacrificing their life for me and I'm a terrible human being and I'm unlovable. That, that's the way that the false gospel works is it either convinces you that you're holy or you're worthless. It convinces you that you're a better Christian. They're a baby Christian. That you're, you're really mature and, you're, and you've got it together, but they don't have it together. Or it makes you think you'll never be able to be what they are. And that's what a Christian is. The real gospel gives life and joy and love because the real gospel says, I'm accepted I've been rescued and because I believe that and because I have experienced that acceptance and because Jesus Christ would give his life to rescue me out of this evil world, I want to live a life of gratitude. Of course I wanna do what God wants me to do, but I'm not doing it because I think I have to or he'll stop loving me. I'm not doing it because I believe I have to or my salvation doesn't count. I've been rescued. And the person who rescued me has a plan for my life. The person who rescued me has, a, has something he wants me to do and a way he wants me to live and a, and a life that he's constructed that leads to greater life. Of course I wanna do that. But it's not because my salvation hangs on it or the love of God hangs on it. Because the, the, the gospel says I've been accepted and loved by God. I've been rescued. I joined the rebels. I'm gonna pray for us, but I want you to think about it like this. 
I want you to imagine that you are um, in your house with your family. You're sleeping at night and the house catches on fire. The house is burning down and you, you are able in the few moments that you have to get your kids and to get maybe your dog or something and you get outside and everything that you love, all the people that you love are out on the front lawn, but you're watching your house burn down. And all of a sudden this person looks up to you and they say, is this your house burning down? And you say, yeah. And they say, let me show you how much I love you. And they run inside and they die. You would think, well, that was stupid. We were out here. Why did they run inside and die? But now I want you to imagine that you're laying in your bed and your house catches on fire and you try to get everybody out, but you can't. And your child is in there or you're in there and your house is burning down and someone shows up to you and says, let me show you how much I love you. And they come in and they rescue you and they die in the process. How would you feel about that person? See, if you don't believe that you had to be rescued, you'll never live a life of gratitude for the rescuer. But if you genuinely believe that your house was going down and you were trapped inside and there was no way for you to get out, but the rescuer came and he died in your place so you could get out. You'd wanna live a life worthy of honoring that man. Gratitude, honoring that man. And here's what's gonna happen, and I've gone over my time, but here's what's gonna happen. is for the rest of this letter, we didn't say it today, but Paul's gonna keep using this phrase, slavery, to describe what it's like to try to be a better Christian based on your behavior. And, and at first, when you read that, you go, well, I don't know if I feel like a slave, but that's exactly what it is. Because if someone rescues you, and you say, well, I owe them now. I've got to spend the rest of my life paying them back for the rescue. That's not rescue, that's slavery. They bought me and I got to do it for them because I don't have a choice because they bought me. That's slavery. And Paul says, you keep going back into that because you think you, you owe him. You got to pay him back now. But he says, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that your house was burning down and you could not get out. But the rescuer came, not based on anything you said, not based on how loud you screamed for help, not based on the diplomas that were hanging on your wall of that house burning to the ground, just because he loved you. He said, I'm going to show you. And he got you out and he stayed inside and he rescued you. And Paul says, if you ever truly believe that that's true, <laughs> your life will change. Your life will change. You'll be a completely different person. But if you don't believe that's true, it's gonna depend on all of your effort, willpower, and discipline to try to be some better person. Just believe you've been rescued. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that when my house was burning to the ground, you sent your son to get me out, to give his life in my place. So God, I ask for forgiveness for all the times when I convinced myself I got myself out. I ask for forgiveness, God, for all the times when I 
believed that you didn't love me because of some mistake that I made. I forgot that you rescued me, God. And so God, I pray that right now in this moment, we would believe maybe again or maybe for the first time that we didn't just find a church, we didn't just say a prayer, but you came into the darkness. You rescued us. And now we are part of the rebels, the resistance who lives in an evil world, but knows what we're fighting for and knows what we're living for. Help us to stop trying to change our lives and help us to believe that every change that we need to make will come through you and the Holy Spirit when we believe the truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.